You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. All right, good morning. That was fun. Um, hold on, let me get set up here. I use my phone as a Bible when I travel because it's one less thing to carry. All right. Um, well, first off, let me just say how happy I am to be at Gateway Franklin. Um, last time I here, well, I was here, I guess it was in November. I remember when I was here, all the leaves were changing and it was beautiful driving around. So I, you know, I spent the last 24 years living in the desert in the Middle East, basically. So seeing fall was just like, it was heaven. I was like, oh, look at the trees. And, and I'm spending this year in, uh, like, basically Fairhope, Alabama. So near Gulf Shores, if you don't know exactly where Fairhope is. And um, which this time of year, I'm thankful for that. Like in the fall, I was jealous of y'all. But now that it's winter, I'm like, yes, we're by the beach. <laughs> you know, I drove up today. I drove up last night and I got, got out of my car and I was like, oh, they have winter up here. <laughs> it's cold. Like, <laughs> I went out this morning and there was frost in the car. I was like, oh, that's, that's I don't need that in my life. So I, I'll be happy to get in my car and go back to the, to the beach tonight. <clears throat> but um, anyway, I was in the fall and I came up and... Uh, Pastor Charlie had this crazy thing where he said, we want to help you establish a, a beachhead, you know, for your, your mission in Greece. And um, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this or not, but I'm just going to say it and I'll get in trouble later, I guess. Um, he had the crazy wild fantasy dream of raising $25,000 to help us establish a quote unquote beachhead in Greece, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but actually what came in was $62,000 that week. So like, that was awesome. Yeah. We, so from the depths of our heart, we thank you because what that has allowed us to do is to really have a beachhead. And we just, I'm a history nerd, right? So I looked up yesterday, I was just like, I'm curious. He mentioned a beachhead. Most famous beachhead in history is D-Day. So I was like, when did D-Day happen? And I was like, I think it's early June. So I looked it up, it's June 6th, right? Well, guess when we're going to Greece? It's, it, it's so, okay, I'm, I'm not going to say June 6th. I wish I could. It's, 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 it could be. It's, it's going to be the first week of June. So, like, the earliest date is going to be, like, June 1st or 2nd, but it's possibly, like, the 5th or 6th. So, like, isn't that crazy? And, and wh what that incredible generosity on you guys' part has done is it's allowed us to accelerate a process where we're starting the purchase of a building. So, like, we've, you know, it was kind of funny when, when I was here last time, I was in a little bit of a, I, I don't know, I was going back and forth with Pastor Charlie a little bit because he was like, to establish, you know, the beachhead, I want to fund you guys getting there. And I was like, yeah, but we need a building. And so he was really wanting to help us personally, and I was trying to deflect it over to get the building done. Well, guess what? We did both. So, so like, there's a, there was enough with all of that to start this, this purchase process. So we're, we're buying a building. It's in downtown Athens. It's in a gritty grimy part of town where there's lots of immigrants and lots of drug users and you know it's not the place you probably want to live but it's an awesome place to do ministry it's like God built a building exactly for what we want to do it's already set up as a school 
but it's got a big giant room in the downstairs that works for like the congregation. So we're going to be able to, to come in like, and it's already set up. It's not going to take hardly any money at all to renovate it, just a very small amount of money. So basically we're going to be able to launch very quickly with classes where we're going to teach immigrant kids like English and life skills. So they hope to get them some hope in this world. We'll be able to start like plant a congregation right out of the gun. So like, it's awesome. And you guys are part of that. And I thank you so, so, so much for it. Um, I want to tell you about one more thing going forward, and I want to jump into the Word, which is that, so as we head out, so we're going to head out that first week in June, and um, we're going to do a really weird thing, okay? So it's a strange thing, but I feel like God's called us to do it. Um, when I, when I, whenever I take on a new ministry, I like to take some time away, you know, because like this year, I'm just, it's just a swirl of like traveling and trying to raise the funds and build the partners and do all the legwork to launch a ministry. But before I step into a new ministry, I really like to take some time away and just pray and focus on God, that, that he'll prepare us spiritually for it. And it's a, it's a big moment in my family's life. We're really moving to a new country. Uh, our oldest son will be staying here in America to start university. It's also our 20th wedding anniversary this summer. So it's a lot of big stuff for us. So we're actually going to take six weeks out of our life, and we're going we're gonna to detach a little bit. And our goal is to hike 504 miles from the French-Spanish border all the way to the northwest corner of, of France, it's a, or of, of Spain, I should say. It's, a, it's an ancient pilgrimage route where Christians would take, walk this route when they had prayer needs and you know, things in their life and stuff like that, going back to the 800s AD. So our goal is to hike that 12, 15 miles a day for about a month and a half and take some time out to really pray and focus on God. Well, what we decided to do was, even though we are taking time out, was to bring people along. So if you want to, f I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the process right now of writing 40 devotionals. They're really for my family, but we're going to share them. So I'll do it with my family privately where we can talk openly amongst ourselves. But then in the evening, I'll live stream them every day. And so if you want to come along with us on our journey in Spain this summer, you're more than welcome to do that. Uh, we're going to stream that basically every day. And that's going to be, so I have a website with podcasts, which you could check out too. Um, it's called Land in the Bible. Uh, that's it, landabible.com. So it's all, it's all going to stream on there and then also on YouTube. So anyway, if you want to follow us, you can, and we'd love for you to. And even if you sponsored us on there, that'd be cool. We'd let you do it. So enough of that. And on to, on to the Word of God. So uh, my understanding is that we're in the middle of a series on um, uh, the lineage of Jesus, right? The people that you know, they, they were his ancestors, right? And, and we're, we're focusing on the crazy kind of the people you never would have thought would be in the lineage of Jesus and how God can redeem so many things and he can make so many things that look kind of dirty and broken and messed up. He can make them new and shiny and, and, he, can, and he can fix them and he can use them to, to do what he's doing, to build what he's building, right? And, and, and so Ruth, like I, I asked for Ruth, actually, when, when Charlie called me and he's like, hey, we're doing this thing. You want to come speak on one of them? I was like, absolutely. Can I have Ruth or David? And he said, I'm going to do David. And I said, well, can I have Ruth? And I, he's like, why do you want Ruth? And I said, because I lived in Bethlehem. Like, what else am I going to do? I got to do Ruth. So he's like, he's like, sure, you can have Ruth. So I, so I asked for Ruth and I got it. So I hope I do justice to her story today. And, and what I want to focus on is I really, really want to focus on the word redemption. Okay, this is a redemption story. Now, some people say it's a love story, and there is a love story in there. I agree it's a love story, but it's a love story in caps in, inside of a redemption story. Okay, I think redemption is, the love is a part of the redemption, if that makes any sense. Like, I think redemption is a key word. And what I want to do is I want to spend the first several minutes really just camped in the first five verses of the book of Ruth. 
because before we talk about the redemption, I want you to see how dark it really is. Okay, how bad it is. Like, you think you got problems? You got nothing. I mean, I hope you don't. Okay, maybe somebody does. But if, if you got problems like Ruth and Naomi had, you need intervention today. Okay, like right now. I hope nobody in this room has problems like they do. Probably you don't. Okay, I want you to see just how dark it is before we step in. I'll, I'll go quickly through the story, and then I'll land some points at the end. So here's how the story starts. This is in Ruth chapter 1, starting in Ruth 1. It says, during the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land of Israel. Now, pause. We already know they got problems. We really have problems for the two reasons. First off, we know we have problems because the time of the judges was the darkest time in the history of Israel. Over and over and over again throughout the book of Judges, it says, and people did whatever was right in their own eyes. And if you read the book of Judges, it is, a, it is an unending tale of warfare and strife and problems. It's a st- you've got horrific like rape and murder and people getting dismembered and stabbed and, and, and warfare and whole cities getting wiped out for nothing. It's a mess, okay? So we, and, and we know it's late during the period of the Judges because it's only two or three generations from David as well. So it's in the worst part of that. Like if you go read that last three or four chapters of the book of Judges, it is a mess, okay? So it's a dark time. We already know that. So the nation of Israel itself needs redemption at this point. Okay? And interestingly enough, at the end of the book of, the Ru- of Ruth, it says, And Obed, you know, begat Jesse, begat David. So in other words, all this points, it's like that God is using this to get David on the scene and David to get Jesus to us. Right? So it's, so it's not just Israel needing redemption. It's us needing redemption that this is a part of. Right? So we know it's dark because it's time of judges, but it's also dark because it's a famine. So it's already a bad time, and now you add it's not raining. And in Israel, the rain comes seasonally, okay? Israel, most people don't know this, London's annual rainfall total is only six inches less than London. I'm sorry, Jerusalem's annual rainfall total is only six inches less than London. You'd never believe that. It's true. But the reason it looks like a desert is because we get 90% of our rainfall in 10 weeks. We have a season, we have a rainy season from late December to the end of February where we just get rain just dumped on us. Don't ever go on an Israel tour in January. You will be miserable. You get 20, 30 days of rain in, in that month. You won't see anything. You'll be cold and wet the whole time, okay? It just dumps rain for about two and a half months and it doesn't rain the rest of the year. So what happens is occasionally there are years when the rainy season just kind of doesn't hit. I've been through those before, where the rainy season, like it's supposed to just pour rain like crazy for for two and a half months, it just kind of doesn't. And then there's no water, and there's no crops, and you got problems, okay? Now, the Bible, in the the Torah, the first five books, God promised the children of Israel that if you will act righteously in the land, I'll send the rain. But if you're acting badly, if you're getting into idol worship, if you're doing things you're not supposed to, then I'll withhold the rain. And so, so during the time of Israel, the rain was actually tied to their behavior. So not only do we know that things were bad in Israel because of the time of the judges, we know it's bad because of the famine. And the famine adds stress to what was already a bad situation. Now you're, having, you're struggling to provide food for your family, and it's a mess. Okay, so in the context of that, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, makes a bad decision. It says, a man left Bethlehem and Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. 
The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. The names of their two sons were Mahlon and Kilion, which I'm a nerd. I always think those sound like, uh, like something from Star Trek or something. Anyway, they were Ephrathites from, like, Klingons. They, from, no, they weren't. They weren't Klingons. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah, and they entered the fields of Moab and settled there. So Moab, Moab, Moab. Now, here's the problem with Moab. Moab is cursed. Okay? So these people have made a choice to leave Israel, the land of promise, a town called Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. You're in the house of bread in the land of promise, and you're going to leave it because things get kind of tough there, and you're going to go to a place that is patently, specifically cursed by God, okay? Which is something that we do sometimes, okay? We're in places that are blessed, that God said to be there. It could be a marriage, it could be a church, whatever it is. You're in a place, and then it gets tough there, and you're like, eh, I'm out, and you go somewhere you're not supposed to go, okay? Like, that's what they did. Right? So that's a problem. Well, where'd they go? They went to Moab. Why is Moab cursed? Well, Moab's cursed because of this. And this is going to be a little bit frank. So, you know, if you got your kids in the room, I'm reading Bible verses. I hope it's okay. Let me tell you. Okay, so, so in America, we have an origin story, right? Our origin story is like, you know, you got pictures of George Washington on a boat. You know, it's Christmas. He's going to kill people, right? That's our, it's true. It was Christmas when he did that. But, and he went to kill people that morning uh, while they were sleeping. So... It's our story. It's what we did. Um, but, but at least we've got a noble picture of it, right? Like the guy on the boat and everything. Well, let me, let me read Moab's origin story. This is from Genesis 19. It says, Lot departed from Zoar and lived in the mountains along with his two daughters. This is after Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Because he was afraid to live in Zoar. Instead, he and his two daughters lived in a cave. Then the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old and there is no man in the land to sleep with us, as is the custom of the land. Come, let's get our father to drink wine so we can sleep with him and preserve our father's line. So they got their father to drink wine that night and the firstborn came and slept with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she got up. And basically the same thing happens the next night and then the Bible says this. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The firstborn gave birth to a son and named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today. That's their George Washington. Okay? So it's a nation founded in probably the single most shameful act in the whole Bible, and that's saying a lot. Okay? Because the Bible tells us lots of gritty stuff. And so you have a, a country founded... In, in an act of sin, okay? And then that culture is perpetuated throughout it. And a few hundred years later, they're mentioned again. The next time we bump into the Moabites in Scripture is in Numbers. And this is what it says. So again, it's, 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 it's a land, it's a culture that has been steeped from its birth in, in, frankly, in sexual perversion. And so what do they do in Numbers 25, 1 through 3? It says, while Israel was staying in the Acacia Grove, the people began to prostitute themselves with the women of Moab. The women invited them to the sacrifices for their gods, probably child sacrifices, by the way. And the people ate and bowed and worshipped to their gods. So Israel aligned itself with Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against Israel. And by the way, there's this crazy scene just after that where a, a guy catches an Israelite and a, a Moabitess woman, and, you know, in a tent, and he spears both of them with one spear through both of them and kills them. And Moses is like, good job. And God says, like, yes, good idea. 
okay? The Bible is full of, like, read it for yourself. So the next time we see the Moabites, they are actively weaponizing their women to go into the camp of Israel to try to pervert the men to, so as to, to pull them away from their calling and their destiny, what they're supposed to do for God. It's like, well, we don't want them worshiping Yahweh and, and doing this whole thing where they have a promised land and set up a kingdom. We don't want that. So what can we do? Let's try to defile them, basically. So they, and they weaponize their women to do that. That's the next time we see them. So what's the result of that? The result of that is that at the end of the Torah, when the Israelites are about to enter the land of Israel, and Moses is laying down the final laws for them, he says this. He, he, first off, it says things like, be nice to foreigners because you used to be a foreigner. You know, so you should go be good and don't cause other people trouble. Remember, you were a foreigner, so be nice. It's, it's, it's be nice, be nice, be nice, be nice. And it says, but no Ammonite or Moabite may enter the Lord's assembly. None of their descendants, even to the 10th generation, may ever enter the Lord's assembly. And then three verses down, this is Deuteronomy 23, 3 and 6. In verse 6, it says, never pursue their welfare or prosperity as long as you live. What on earth? It's a group of people that God said, don't ever do anything nice for them. Never consider their prosperity. Never think of their welfare. Stay away from them. And we read that, as we, you know, because of our New Testament context, we're like, how could the same God who says to love your neighbor as yourself, and before God there is no you agree, the same God that said those things, how could he say that? And, and, I, and I think as I struggle with that, uh, the best answer I can come up with is this. When, when your kids are young and they're not mature enough to be influencers, they're influencees, you look at your kids and you say, listen, I don't need you hanging around those people. Okay, it's not because you hate the people that live down the street. It's just because you know your kid is not mature, and if he goes down there, he's going to act like them. Okay, so God didn't hate the Moabites, but he knew that the children of Israel were not yet what they were supposed to be, and if they hung around them, they would become like them, and they were not good. They were deeply evil. Okay, so that's what's going on. So these people are so bad that God has created a prohibition between his people and them. Don't ever be around them. Above and beyond that, God has told the children of Israel to never intermarry with pagans. If people are not believers, if they're not followers of Yahweh, you do not intermarry with them. And they break all those rules. They go to a cursed place, they intermarry with, with, with foreigners, so they've sinned a lot. So now this family needs redemption. Okay? Now, let's, let's look at what that looks like. So, it says, um, they entered the land of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. They went there trying to live. They couldn't find enough food in Bethlehem, but he died anyway. And she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women. It's a sin, okay? Just so you'll know, we love Ruth, but like honestly, they shouldn't have married her. Um, they took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah. I always think Oprah, but it's not Oprah. It's Orpah. And the second was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about 10 years, so the, the famine's over. Famines don't last 10 years, okay? I'm just telling you. Like, it probably went for two or three, but they got comfortable in Moab because that's also what happens. You leave where you're supposed to be. You go where you're not supposed to be, and you get comfortable over there, okay? They stayed for 10 years. What's the consequences? The husband died. Then it says this, both Malon and Kilion died. The husband died. The son died. The son died. And in ancient culture, that's a wipeout because women couldn't own property. They couldn't defend themselves. Okay? This is a huge, 
problem. So now they personally need redemption in a way that we can hardly fathom. They're utterly impoverished. They're utterly vulnerable. Okay? So, so th- this is the depths of, of despair. In, 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 at, the end of, at the beginning of chapter 2, or the end of chapter 1, when they finally go home, Naomi's name means like joyful or happy, something like that. It means something good, right? Her name's like a positive thing. When she goes home, she, they're like, oh, Naomi's back. And she says, no, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara because I'm bitter. Mara means bitter. I'm bitter because God's hand's against me. Okay? So, 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 so she's embittered. She thinks God's against her. And, and, you know, you think of Ruth's situation. Ruth is a widowed foreigner, probably barren because she's married for a few years and they didn't have birth control back then. There was no babies. She comes from a country where they worship a god called Chemosh, which is the Moabite version of Moloch, which was a god that you worshiped via child sacrifice. Okay? You put your babies, they would heat the, the idol, and you put the baby in the hand of the idol, and you basically like put him on a frying pan, is what they did in the worship of that god. They fried their babies to worship that god. Okay, that's her god when the story starts, from a culture that is, that is deeply, again, perverted. She shows up, so, and all the people in Bethlehem are like, ugh, Moabite, you know, bitter mother-in-law. Like, she's not getting a date. Okay, like she's got problems, poor, homeless, it's not good, right? So need of redemption, deeply, need God to show up or it's bad. And, and this is, so they, they leave, and as they're leaving, the, the two girls, Orpah and Ruth, are going with Naomi, and Naomi stops and says, I can't support you. I don't have a son. I don't have a husband. I don't have any means of, of providing or protecting. And back then, if, if, if you know, because the woman came into your household, so if one of your sons died, you just kind of gave her to another one of your sons, which is, I'm glad we don't do that anymore. But, um, but that was the custom back then. And so she's like, I'm too old to have any more sons. And if I did, they'd be babies and you'd have to wait like 20 years. And that's weird. So like, just go home, she says to them. And, and Orpah, she cries and hugs her and says, okay, you're right, bye. You know, and she's like out. And Naomi says this, which is kind of funny. It, it, it's beautiful. What's funny about it is it gets read in, in uh, marriages, like weddings often. This verse is read, and it's spoken by a woman to her mother-in-law, which is really interesting. But anyway, it's Ruth 1, 16 through 17. This is a, a, a key moment in the story. So Ruth says, do not plead with me to abandon you or return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and here's the important part, and your God will be my God. This is Ruth's moment. Like, this is a repentance moment. She's, she's saying, like, 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 to me, the statement that Ruth makes there was she says, your people, because your people are the people of God, will be my people, and your God will be my God. That's a moment where that is more than just, I'm going to hang out with you. Like, she, it's, it's a conversion moment right there. She's, she's giving up her loyalty to her people and to her God, and she's like, I'm going to be with you guys. Okay, that's a big deal. Um, where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. And so they get to Bethlehem. And now God's ready to start his job. Because now we, we've got repentance. 
Now we've got them back in a place where they're supposed to be, where God can really bless them and use them, okay? And so now God's like, yes, finally. There's a, there's a verse in Second Chronicles, I think, where, where it says that the Lord's eyes go to and fro throughout the world looking for who he can bless. God doesn't love people he can zap and punish. He doesn't want to do that. And those people are easy to find anyway, right? Like you can find sinners all day long. I could give God a list of people to zap if you wanted one, right? And you could too, and, and including yourself probably, right? Including me. So, so that's easy to find people to zap and to, to punish and, and to, to, you know, to, to curse. God can find those all day long. Like what, what the Bible says is that God is, so, it's like he has all this blessing, this big giant pile of blessing just waiting. He's like, if you'll just act in a way I can bless, I've got all this right here. And so finally, Ruth and Naomi have gotten in, in alignment with God. He's like, okay, let's go. And so the Bible, in, in Ruth 2, it says this. It says, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side named Boaz, inter-hero character. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. And there's this cool verse where you know, Naomi is like, look, I mean, Ruth is like, look, we're, we're starving to death. I got to go do something. Don't your people have this like gleaning thing? You know, because Jews had this thing where they didn't quite harvest all the field. They kind of left the corners so poor people could go gather some food. And she's like, I want to go see if I can get some, if I can do that, if I can kind of glean a little bit of grain, enough for us to live. And that's dangerous because she's a foreign woman. She has no male protector. And so really any male that wanted to could take advantage of her. And there would be no one to do anything about it. Okay, the Middle East still works that way, by the way, in some parts. So, so an unprotected woman is a very, very vulnerable thing. But she goes out because what is she going to do? Sit there and starve? And she goes out, and there's this cool verse. It's, uh, it's 2-3, uh, Ruth chapter 2, verse 3. So Ruth left, entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. And she happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. She just happened to be. She happened to go to Boaz's field, and Boaz happened to show up that day, and Boaz happened to notice her. And what happens is that when you get things right with God, then God, a thing called providence happens. It didn't just happen. It didn't just happen that she went to that field. God put her in that field. And it didn't just happen that Boaz showed up that day. He didn't come every day. He's the rich guy. He's the owner. He doesn't show up every day. He shows up when he wants to. He showed up that day, Right? And he noticed her. She happened to be passing by when he was in the right area. You know, God put that together. That's what God does. When, 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 you, when you get right with him, when you find that moment of repentance and you come back to him and you say, like, I was wrong and I want to get right with you, then God says, okay, let's go. And then things start to happen, and they just happen, okay? And that's God at work. And, but Boaz does his part, too. Boaz is awesome. I'm going to go really fast and just sort of land this. So Boaz sees her. You know, Ruth must have been a good-looking girl because he sees her and he's like, who's that? And then he says, okay, nobody touches her. You know, he protects her. Then he says, hey, how can I provide for you? And he, like, gives her grain, and he says, you can come back every day, and you hang out with my servant girls, and you go to whatever part of the field that we're working on, so my guys and my girls will protect you, and if anybody touches you or messes with you, like, it, they're going to have to deal with me. So he protects her, he takes care of her, he doesn't take advantage of her, you know, like he's, like Boaz is like a good guy, right? If you're a man and you want to like read a scriptural, biblical model of manhood, Boaz is a great one, okay? He takes care of her, he's a gentleman, and then you have this crazy thing 
where maybe it is a little bit of a romance story. I like, I like to think of it as the first pickup line recorded in history. It's in Ruth 2.14. It's a really bad one. Don't, don't use it. It won't work for you. But um, it's, it's, it's it, okay. I'll, I'll just read it. But Ruth 2.14, it says at mealtime, so, so it's time for lunch, right? And, and Boaz, you know, sees Ruth over there. And he's like, you know, you want to come over? He says, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. It's a really bad line, but it worked for him. She's like, okay, I'll do it. I'll dip some bread in your vinegar sauce. And she comes over and sits by him, and, and they start to have lunch, and it's good, and, you know, love's in the air. So it's just she ate and was satisfied and had some left over, and she goes home with all this grain, and, and Elmi's like, what happened? And she says, I worked in Boaz's field. And she's like, awesome, and she works there throughout the rest of the season, the rest of the harvest. At the end of the harvest, Naomi comes up with a, an honestly crazy plan. Okay, this is like, don't, don't, probably don't learn anything from this part of the story, except the fact that Ruth was obedient. And, and what she basically tells her to do, um, well, I'll, I'll read the instructions. Um, she says, this evening, he will be winnowing barley in the threshing floor. So they've done the harvesting, now they're winnowing. It's like a celebration time in a way, like kind of Thanksgiving. Wash, put on perfumed oil, and wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you were there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he, I mean, and this is where it gets a little bit like, oh, what's going on, Ruth? But it says, when he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do. So she does this, right? So it's a party because the end of the harvest, they're drinking, they're probably a little bit, you know, uh, affected, let's say, by the, by the, whatever they're drinking. And he lays down and he goes to sleep and she uncovers his feet, whatever that means. And she lays down at the foot of the bed, kind of curled around his feet. Now that's weird. Okay. Like that's what I'm saying. Don't do that. So anyway, it says, and this is, I, th I think sometimes the Bible is a little bit sarcastic or understated. It says at midnight, Boaz was startled, turned over, and there lying at his feet was a woman. Yeah, that would startle you. Like if you're in bed by yourself at night, and you like go to sleep and wake up, and there's a girl curled around your feet, like that's like, what? You know, like that's weird stuff. Okay, that's what happened. Um, and, and he says, who are you? And she's like, I'm Ruth, your slave. And, and she says, okay, now let's be honest. And she kind of offers herself to him here. She says, spread your cloak over me for you're a family redeemer. And, and what he does is he's kind of like, no, I'm, I'm going to summarize. I don't have much time. He says, he says no, I'm going to do this right. Stay here till morning. Leave before sunup. Don't tell anybody you were here. And he instructs his people to not tell anyone that she was there. He protects her reputation. Okay, and he says, like, I'm going to go do this right in the morning. And in the morning he goes, and I'll just summarize chapter 4. He goes, there's another guy who has first dibs to her in marriage because that whole family thing, right? And, and so he goes to that guy and sort of says, well, like, you can have her, but you have to buy all these fields, and they're not going to be yours. They're going to belong to her descendants. So do you want to pay that money and buy all the stuff, you know, to basically buy off all of old Elimelech, Mahlon, and Kilion's stuff, or do you just want to? you know, let me have it. And the guy's like, well, I don't want to spend my money on something that's not going to belong to me, so you can have her. And, and Boaz is like, yes, because he wanted the girl, right? Good for him. So he gets his girl, and then it ends like this. Let me just read the last sentence, or the last little bit of, of, the, of the fourth chapter. It says, um, 
Um, it says, Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he was intimate with her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you even than sons has given birth to him. And Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and took care of him. Okay, so get that. The last scene we get is, is the bitter woman, grandmother Naomi, with her grandson, bouncing him on her lap, laughing. Joy's back. Ruth has a husband. There's, there's provision. There's protection. There has been full redemption. Now, what are the, what are the ingredients of that redemption story? If music people want to come up, that would be cool. The, the ingredients of that redemption story. So I don't know who you are today. I don't know if you're Ruth or if you're Boaz. Okay, you're not God, so you're not him. But, 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 but you could be Ruth. You could be in a desperate situation needing, needing redemption. Or you could be Boaz. You could be someone who's well-established who could help somebody else. I don't know which one you are, but you do. Okay, the key ingredients for Ruth, I think A number one is humility. Ruth was willing to look at her own people, her own prior beliefs, and where she was, and say, you know what, that's wrong. The way we kill babies in worship is wrong. The, the, the way we are very open with our sexual behavior is wrong. The way my culture does this is wrong. Chemosh is a false god. Okay, my ancestors have been wrong. I don't want to be wrong anymore. I want to be right. I want to go, like, you know how many people sit in sin and suffering and in horrible situations because they just won't say I was wrong? Well, if I say I was wrong, it means all that was for nothing. It means my grandfather was bad. My grandmother was bad. Well, yeah, they were bad. Were you going to be bad too and go to hell with them? You can, you can if you want. But people in pride stay in bad situations. She was humble. She was also faithful. She did what she was supposed to when she was supposed to do it, okay? She, 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 she had said, I'll be loyal to you. When she married her husband, she had agreed to be loyal to that family, and she stuck with, with Naomi. And she went where she was supposed to do, and she did what she was supposed to do. And her humility and her faithfulness created a, a, a space in which God could bless her. Okay, but what about Boaz? Boaz was protective of her. He provided for her. He, he was conscientious of her. Like when they're eating and he sees her with no food, he says, come over here and eat. Okay? When, when, when she's vulnerable, he says, my guys are going to protect you. No one will touch you because I said so. Okay? And, and, and he didn't know he was going to get a wife out of it. He didn't know that. He did that not knowing. And when it came down to time to get a wife, he was willing to lose money on her. Okay? Now, you don't know how many Ruths and Naomi's you bump into every day. That if you'll treat them like a human, extend a little kindness, a little protection, a little provision, like a, just a little bit of humanity to them. Do unto others as you would have them do unto me. If you'll just do that, you don't know what kind of redemption story you can be a part of. You just don't know. All right? So, so if you're in this house and, and you need redemption, man, repent. Let go of your pride. Say you were wrong. Get out of a cursed place into a blessed one and let God do his thing. If you're already there, look for opportunities to be a Boaz, to be the one that God uses. It's God's the primary actor here, okay? He's the primary actor, but he acts through people. 
okay? Ruth and Naomi's redemption came through the tool of it was Boaz. Wouldn't you want to be that? I want to be that. Like, I, I, like I, the prayer of my heart is I land on some Greek island or in Athens and all these people that are going to hell, God will use me as a tool for their redemption. Like I, that's my dream. Isn't that your dream for your community? To be what God uses? Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word that tells us these stories about real people with real problems, horrific backgrounds, horrible sins in their past. These are things we can't even imagine with suffering that's unbelievable. And even in that, you can, you can step in. You can redeem even that horrible thing Lot did in that cave. You can weave that into your story. You can weave anything into your story. And, 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 and Lord, so we see that as a model. All we have to do is just turn back to you in repentance. You're, you're there with open arms. And Lord, for those of us in the room who are believers and we're solid and we're with you and we're on your team and, and, and things are good for us right now, Lord, help us to be like Boaz. Help us to be actively looking for people that are vulnerable and in need that we can reach out to and help so that we can be a part of their redemption, so that we can be a part of your kingdom. Lord, help us to grow in that, whatever that is. And Lord, I pray your blessing on this place. Thank you so much for it. In your name we pray. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.